Please turn in your Bibles, uh, first of all, to a couple of short uh, Scripture uh, readings. Uh, First from Galatians 4, Uh, just a couple of verses, Uh, Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 and 5, and then uh, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Galatians uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then in uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we thank you, Father, that because of what Jesus Christ has done in this world for the likes of us, that we are your children, your sons and daughters. And as we take just a little bit of time this morning, Father, to look at a piece of the good work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we pray that you'd be pleased to come to us and visit us by the power of your Spirit, that you'd enter into our worship, that you would apply your Word to our hearts and lift us up that we might know you better and hear your voice and be embraced by your Word. Do this good work in our midst as we are together this morning, we pray. And refresh us and revive us, we ask. This is your work. We are privileged to be your people. And so we implore you in this special time to visit us and to be kind and gracious to us in the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. On the back of uh, the uh, order of worship is uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 27. So, uh, a little responsive reading. You think we can do this? Can we handle this? If I ask you the question, can you uh, 
uh, recite the answer? Okay. Uh, let's give this a whirl. Uh, question 27. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Thank you. And thank you to our great God in heaven who sent to us uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in uh, this part of His work, uh, which we've just spoken of together, His humiliation. Gail was uh, just a toddler when she and her family returned home from the funeral of her grandmother. And a few days after that funeral, uh, Gail came to the kitchen uh, to find her mother, and she tugged on her mother's skirt and looked up and said, Mommy, where, where is Grandma? And Gail's mother looked down and said, Gail, do you remember what we learned in the catechism? The question, what did God give Adam and Eve besides bodies? And she looked up to her mom and said, Souls that would never die. And her mom said, Grandma's body we placed in the ground and Grandma's soul has gone to be with Jesus. So simple, an answer could be given to the question of a little one through the catechism. And in this case, the catechism for young children. The catechism uh, gives us uh, the uh, greater picture and rubrics of the Bible, the questions and answers of the catechism. Uh, you're familiar with inductive Bible study. In Inductive Bible study, we look at the little pieces of Scripture. And as we look at the little pieces of Scripture, and uh, we build together the little pieces of Scripture uh, to help us understand the wider scope of Scripture. The Catechism immediately gives us the wider uh, uh, picture of Scripture. It brings us to deductive Bible study. The catechism in its questions and answers gives us this uh, bigger picture, the deductive side. And you and I need both inductive and deductive Bible study uh, to put the big picture and the little pieces together so we can see the beauty of the mosaic of the Bible. And in the adult classes this week, we're going to be looking uh, at 
the shorter catechism, uh, to get those bigger uh, pieces of Scripture. And this morning we're looking at uh, shorter catechism, question and answer 27, the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this answer, we get a statement of the truth of the Word of God, which is derived from several passages of Scripture. Uh, It would be impossible uh, for us to read, for you to read, uh, just one text that would cover all of that which is spoken of in the catechism answer. And so, uh, several passages of Scripture are brought together. And we read two of those passages, uh, one from Galatians and one from Philippians. And so we're delving, first of all, into uh, this idea of the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's humiliation. Consider it, my friends. Christ's humiliation consisted, first of all, in His being born. It's amazing, isn't it? Just looking around, there are several recently born youngsters in our midst. What a beauty that is! What a privilege that is! What a wonder that is! And we think of it as a very common uh, thing that uh, youngsters are born into this world. I just got a text last night uh, from uh, my uh, youngest brother who said, I'm a grandpa again. And uh, he sent along a picture of uh, his daughter and uh, their new child, uh, a little boy. And he said, I hope the rest of the family uh, rejoices with me in this. And of course we do when we get uh, this kind of news. But consider the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ as a part of His humiliation, of His being lowered in a a, a way uh, in our view of Him. Being lowered in our view of Him. I think of it this way. In the book of Hebrews, it speaks of the fact that After His resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ went from this world into heaven, into the true tabernacle, which is in heaven, which was made without hands. And the writer to the Hebrews adds, not of this creation. And I... I stagger at those words, not of this creation. That that true tabernacle is somehow above and outside of this created order. How do we understand that? How do we grasp that concept? Because we're created beings. We're we're in this creation. We know nothing of that which is outside of and above and beyond this creation. But our Lord Jesus Christ entered into the true tabernacle that is not of this creation. And when He entered into this world, friends, the second person of the Trinity came from that 
which is somehow outside of and above this creation to be born into this world. What a step of condescension on His part to leave that which is ineffable in glory and beyond our comprehension to come into this world and to be born. And not only to be born, but the Catechism teaches us that He was born, as it says, in a low condition. In a low condition. Well, we can understand this in a couple of different ways. He was born not into a family of means, not into a family of large estate, not into a family of position, but into a family of a common worker and laborer, a carpenter, a carpenter. How many of you have hired a carpenter? I've hired carpenters many times to come to our home and to repair things that if I tried, I'd, I'd have botched it for sure. A lowly carpenter and called not to be born in the town where his mother and father resided, but to go to Bethlehem in accordance with the decree of the emperor for a census. And arriving there, there was no place, there was no place for them. There was not a, a room to be found. It's like trying to find a motel room at the Super Bowl. There's not one to be found. And what was his bed? A cattle trough. My wife, his father, raised cattle. And I remember many times going out to help feed the cattle. You ever help doing that? You ever look in a cattle trough? It's not the most sanitary place in the world. A lot of slime and slobber and who knows else there in the cattle trough. But that first bed, a manger, a feeding place for cattle. Born into this world, born in a lowly condition, and made under the law, we are taught. We can understand this from uh, several perspectives also. Entering into this world, being found in nature as a man, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
had this kind of a body, subject to all the principles and laws that you and I are subject to, subject to gravity. You jump wrong, you hurt yourself. You, you don't use that carpenter's knife properly, you bleed. You hit your thumb with a mallet, you bruise. That's part of the circumstance. Made under the law, in a circumstance, brought into this world in a country that was under the Roman yoke and under the law of Rome. Under that law, being subject to the laws and the rule of that empire. And not only so, being born in the land of the Jews so that he was subject to all of the Jewish laws, the civil law of the Jews. Yeah. Uh, most of us don't know and understand what that means <laughs> so long ago and so far away but also subject to the religious laws, the ceremonial laws of the Jews, the requirements for the Sabbath, the requirements for, for the feasts, the, the requirements uh, uh, with regard to circumcision and all of these other ceremonial laws. Our Lord Jesus Christ subject to these things. And born under the law in this way so that he could take the curse of the law, which is death. And what else does the catechism say? Undergoing the miseries of this life. Undergoing the miseries of this life tormented and taunted and cursed and spat upon. You young people, some of you have experienced torment and teasing by your peers and by others at school because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, this is the case. And uh, when you think about what you felt and what you experienced, think about our Lord Jesus Christ, that He felt those same things and more. And in order for Him to actually feel the sting of that torment, to actually feel the spittle on His face, and on his body to feel the sting of the cursings that were placed against him. Our Lord Jesus Christ had to become a man. Uh, this is part of the wonder of it. He had to become a man. The Westminster Confession of Faith uh, says to us that God is a most pure spirit without body parts or passions without body parts or passions 
without body parts, without human emotions. How do you suppose the great God of heaven is going to experience the same kind of emotions you experience? He must become a man. God must become a man in order to experience human emotions. In order to weep at Lazarus' tomb and grieve and to shed a tear, he must become a man. And this is what the Bible tells us. Undergoing all the miseries of this life, the wrath of God. Some of you have read in Jonathan Edwards. And uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, not the easiest read in the world, uh, but a profitable read. And uh, years ago, uh, I was challenged to read in uh, Jonathan Edwards and was given uh, the two-volume Banner of Truth uh, collected writings of uh, Jonathan Edwards. And it's Old English. That's great. Uh, it, it's not the easiest read. But, but one of the things that I learned in a piece of what Edwards has to say had to do with Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Edwards uh, relates this, basically. Edwards says that when our Lord Jesus Christ threw Himself on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, He looked, he looked into the blast furnace of the wrath of God and He shuddered at the prospect of having Himself to enter into that blast furnace and experience the awful wrath of the Father. And He cried out, Father, is it possible for this cup to pass from Me? He shuddered at the prospect of the wrath of God. And of course, went on to say, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it was not only in the Garden of Gethsemane that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced the wrath, the terrible wrath of God. But it was also in the cursed death of the cross where He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Alone, hanged on that tree, those nails piercing His hands or wrists, bam, 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 pounding through His flesh, and through his feet and ankles. 
and hanging, suffocating, <gasps> grasping for breath, <gasps> grasping for breath, and hardly able to cry out and saying, as any one of us might say in that circumstance, I thirst, I thirst. Yes, all the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross. And in the Jewish economy, in the Jewish economy, The law says very simply, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The very fact that he was impaled upon that cross was a sign to the world that the curse of God was upon him. It's kind of like, kind of like, but not exactly like uh, when an individual in our day and age is executed for, for murder. And there are individuals who are invited to the execution. And they bear witness to the fact that the criminal... The criminal receives the due reward for his or her crime. And I say it's similar, but infinitely greater when we look at the cross and the wrath of God and the fact that Jesus Christ displayed publicly as the one cursed and dying on behalf of His people for their sins. And being buried. Being buried. The Son of God? Being buried? It seems odd, does it not? That the second person of the Trinity having become a man dies a cruel death and is put in a tomb in the ground. Every one of us in this room one day will be put in the grave except the Lord come first. And every one of us will if we have not yet, attend a funeral and attend those who are placed in the grave, buried, and undergoing, as the catechism says, continuing under the power of death for a time. And here's what you need to understand here, friends. Is that when you and I die, there is a separation of body 
and spirit, or body and soul. And when you die as a Christian, your soul or spirit passes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Praise be unto God. And your body is placed in the grave. And that separation of body and soul or body and spirit is an unnatural state. Paul says that it's a, it's a condition of nakedness. That the soul is naked. It's, it's outside of the body. And that's an unnatural state. And the desirable state is for body and soul to be together. And our Lord Jesus Christ existed in this state for a time where body and soul were separated. All of this is part of His humiliation. And going back now to Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5, we see why Jesus Christ did all of this. Why He entered into this humiliation. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To redeem those of us who are under the curse of the law, who, who are under the indictment of death, to redeem us. Jesus Christ entered into this humiliation to redeem us. And the English version says to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I don't want you to misread that, that text. So that we might receive adoption as sons as though, well, it might come about if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's not what the text is saying. There's not a contingency that's left in your hands. This is how the text more properly should be read. To redeem those who were under the law so that we would receive adoption as sons. Jesus Christ entered into this humiliation so that you and I would receive sonship. That you and I would be daughters and sons of the living God. What a wonderful thing this is. Our theme, friends, is quite simple. The glory of God in the Gospel. And the glory of God 
in the gospel, in this aspect of it, in the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ is that He went through this humiliation so that you would follow Him, believe in Him, and trust Him. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your good work on our behalf. And if I were to ask you this morning, do you believe this good news in the Gospel of Jesus Christ? How would you respond? Would you say with me in a hearty Amen? Amen? Would you say that? Amen. Amen. Our psalm for the conference is 71A. I'd like you to turn there with me. Because part of God's desire in having us together to talk about these things is that you would make Him your confession. Notice how the selection begins. In You, O Lord, I put my trust. Ashamed let me not be. This is your confession, friends. And this is the confession that Jesus Christ is calling you to make this morning to say to Him, in You, in You, O Lord, I put my trust. And so, uh, dear friends, as we conclude our service this morning, I call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to make the words of this psalm your confession this morning with full-throated praise, but not only with full-throated praise, but with full-hearted praise.